Okay, so let's get started. This is our fourth episode of Boston Faith and Justice's podcast, Let's Talk Faith and Justice. And we're so excited to have with us um, two people that work with Crush, um, which I think is out of, I'm going to say Cambridge, but I think it's more Boston generally, but we'll just let my mistake stand and then you can correct everything I say. Um, but um, Isaac, someone I've known for a while and just, um, I just admire his work a lot. And I'm just excited to share um, kind of what they're doing in the community with our community as we continue to have this conversation around housing justice, trying to educate ourselves, trying to learn from the people that we know and get connected with new organizations doing innovative and creative work. So we're just really thankful that you guys are taking the time and we'll let you introduce yourselves a little more deeply and a little more accurately um, in just a second. And Ivy is here as well, Associate Director of BFJN, and we're going to get started. So as you guys know from our last episode, my new favorite introductory question is what posters did you have on your wall when you were young? and why. And so we're going to ask that of Sabrina and Isaac. Um, Sabrina, do you want to go first? No. <laughs> then you don't well, have to. I have, I have no answer to that and that I didn't have posters on my wall. Um, I, my walls were wallpaper and, you know, don't want to mess with the wallpaper because then damaged it. So can't say I had anything on the wall. Okay. What about, did you have like anything like on your desk, which I'm also just imagining was very neat. This is what I'm picturing. Um, like pictures or anything special. Again, you don't have to share, but I'm just thinking there's got, there's something there. Boy, I, you know, I need more than a few minutes to answer that question. I have to do some self-evaluation. <laughs> That's fair. Friends, if there's a follow-up to that, we will share. Uh, <laughs> Isaac, how about you? Um, I mean, my answer is not going to be much more interesting, I'm afraid. Uh, but I, I did have um, one summer uh, when I was away visiting my grandparents for a couple of weeks, uh, my mom and a friend of hers um, redid my bedroom to be like jungle themed. So they sponge painted the walls and like greens and yellows and stuff and had like a palm tree in there, like a very small one. And uh, there were two posters that they put on the walls. One was of a tiger and one was of a jaguar. And they stayed there. I think they're still there now, actually. Um, but I've never really been a decorator. So uh, like they were they were cool. I like them. Nef never felt a need to change them. Okay. I love I love that. And did you say how old were you when this happened? Gosh, eight or nine, maybe. Okay. So it's a while, but it's apparently still there. Um, that's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. Um, okay. So now we're just going to dive into kind of talking about who you guys are and what you do. And maybe um, if we have the time, get a little more broadly into like housing justice and your kind of connections, views on that. So will you tell us a little bit about yourselves? And we won't start with you, Sabrina. You can go second. So you be thinking. Um, and and just how you how you got into the work that you do now and anything kind of about you that you think, hey, this is this is something I want people to know as we kind of dive into this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So my name is Isaac. Uh, I'm the executive director of Crush uh, and have served in this role since the organization's founding uh, in I guess technically 2016, but we incorporated as in 2018. Um, 
working with the Episcopal Diocese of Massachusetts for two years as our fiscal sponsor prior to that. Mm. Uh, I live in an intentional community in Jamaica Plain. Um, both Sabrina and I live in intentional communities. And I'm a really big believer in community housing and housing cooperatives as one of the solutions to Boston's housing crisis. Um, and not just the housing crisis, but also uh, climate change. Um, that there's there's an efficiency to living together that just can't be matched when we're all convinced that, you know, eight people need eight kitchens and eight bathrooms. Um, and there's also um, something really beautiful about living among a chosen family. Uh, there's, I think our culture really, really wants us to be fiercely independent uh, as if that's a marker of adulthood. And I just don't think that's humans are built you know, we're, we're meant to be interdependent and living into community, I think, and, and living into interdependence. Uh, that's the kind of maturity that I want to have. Yeah, that's great. Thank you. There's a lot there that I want to follow up on. Um, I want to, I want you to share as well, Sabrina, if you can. Thank you. I do have an answer for this one. So here we are. Yes. Um, <laughs> I am a member of the board of Crush. Uh, but I'm also a part of uh, New Roots AME Church, who is partnering with Crest, and we are in the process of developing an additional community here in Upham's Corner. And this is how I came to be a member of the board, actually, between uh, as a result of that partnership. I do believe, uh, even before coming uh, to this to this uh, this community, uh, just my own experience with housing over the years has demonstrated to me how important this is. Um, there are so many folks who, especially in the Boston area, are dealing with, you know, uh, rents that are, you know, very difficult to to handle, or you have you can't afford the whole whole unit, so you have to find someone to partner with, or multiple people, and not even people you know or necessarily have commonalities with. So this arrangement makes it very easy to identify folks you want to live with and be able to have community. Now, I do believe that, as, as Isaac has already said, that we are social beings. So we're not designed to be you know, isolated. And uh, this enables community. It helps economically. It helps with sustainability. It helps with so many aspects that we are dealing with not only individually, but as a society right now. So I, I was very happy to find that Kresh is doing this kind of work in the area. And it's also encouraging other communities, other people help to uh, develop similar uh, uh, arrangements for folks. So it helps the individual, it helps the community, and it's all great. So, that's awesome. And I really appreciate you both sharing. Before today, I did not know much about Crash. And so if you all could just speak to a little bit more of what exactly you do within the organization, the impact you've seen and or hope for. Yeah. Uh, so I think that the the new partnership with New Roots is like really emblematic of what Crash does, which is create and support intentional communities, uh, partnering with local congregations. And that is everything from um, 
borrowing money to acquire properties, to renovating them for ideal community use, to um, coaching groups of people who are then founding those communities, um, developing the skills necessary to thrive in community, you know, communication and conflict resolution and that kind of stuff. Um, while with the ultimate goal of creating long-term stable mixed income housing that people can thrive in. Um, like we're, we're not doing transitional housing. We're not um, sort of trying to help move people toward buying a house in the suburbs. We're trying to have stable neighborhoods full of communities where people can put down roots and really live their lives. Mm. I think one of the things, or there's several things for from the new roots perspective that uh, uh, we're, we perceive as benefits and and Christ, and Isaac mentioned some of them. It's very difficult as a church to, if you want the concept and you want to establish the concept, it's very difficult to implement it you know, from beginning to end, cradle to grave. All of the things that are required requires different types of skill sets that we as as a church really would need it, you know, only once if we do this once. But Crash has done this multiple times and therefore has history with it, has practice in it, and also has resources to do some of the things that are continuing, such as, you know, get, uh, collecting the rents and maintaining the buildings. And these are all things. And also it's to have community so that you're not isolated, to have other houses. There's a network of crush houses. So there are all these benefits that you can't easily achieve as an individual church, but as a collective, as a community, we have a lot more resource and how a lot are able to, to handle a lot more. Yeah. So how many, just out of curiosity, how many uh, housing, um, you know, how many different locations do you all have within the network right now? There are three existing ones and we're creating the fourth. The existing ones are in Dorchester and Alston and Newton Center. And the new one will also be in Dorchester. Awesome. And each one is, you know, our smallest is four people, our largest is seven. I would also say that Crush would like and invite other communities who want to do similar things. So we might only have three or four right now, but there's capacity for much more. Yeah, I, I love that. And um, can you guys, again, sort of just... Um, as an introductory way for people who maybe aren't familiar even with this concept, taking one step back, like, will you describe what intentional community is? I know it doesn't look the same everywhere it is, but like at its most basic level, what do we mean when we say intentional community? And then maybe if you want to talk more specifically, like if Crush has its own style of intentional community. Yeah. Oh gosh. It's one of my favorite questions. Um, I mean, intentional community is somewhere between um, family style living and roommates and a monastery and a sitcom somewhere in that like zone. <laughs> um, it's like a, a group of people living together, um, really conscientiously investing themselves in each other's lives and uh, living together under a common set of agreements, usually with a common mission and a, a common um, uh, mission of serving the local neighborhood and being present in the local neighborhood. Um, for Kresh, uh, we're, I think the thing that makes us unique is that we work with congregations to create these communities so that uh, the households are not 
unsupported, but have a, a larger a support network and a larger community that can kind of uh, envelop them and, and hold them. And mm-hmm. that has been really helpful when when households individually are going through times of trouble to have a, a wider network of support. Um, the other thing that I think makes us unique is that we are a network. And, you know, we founded roughly one house per year since our founding, um, which is pretty aggressive. And I don't know how long we'll be able to keep that up. Um, but especially when the pandemic came, a lot of intentional communities in Boston had to close their doors. Um, you know, the Boston Community Cooperatives folded, um, the Walker Center for Ecumenical Exchange shut down the Barton House, the Margaret Mosley House closed down. Um, and it was it was largely because these groups, um, A, had no income other than rental income. And so when when people began moving out of the city during the pandemic, they couldn't pay their own bills. Uh, and also didn't have that wider that wider support network. Whereas mm-hmm. with Crash, you know, we we not only had uh, a, like a fundraising branch that we could dial up to help make make ends meet and support the people living in the communities, but also like you know, right now the Trinity House is full, the Emmanuel House is full, the St. Mary's House um, has got two or three vacancies in it, and if the St. Mary's House were on its own, that would be a financial crisis. But because it's part of a network, the the houses that are full can float it for a little while until it you know fills up those rooms. And there's just a resiliency that comes with being a community of communities that you can't replicate. Uh, no, go ahead, Serena. I had I had a thought that connected to this, but I think um, one of the things that. Um, talking about the resilience that comes with Crush is also um, they're having, yes, we have our own communities, we own churches, but we also, the more voices, the more different types of people you can connect with, the whole more aware, the more, you know, growth opportunity, just, so it's, it's, we have our network, we have our support, but we also have our new friends that, that help us grow as individuals and as a, as a community. So it's, it's, you know, there's, there's balance, there's benefit to both. I feel like there's some deep life lessons there too, that can be like extrapolated from that. I just love that idea of resiliency, being a community of communities, like that's, that's such a beautiful idea of how we should live generally and the fact that you're seeing it played out among um, people intentionally deciding to live together and form communities is just yeah that's really beautiful and I appreciate being able to understand that a little better um can you talk a little bit about I mean this might be getting too in the weeds and this is just me being curious but like how the communities interact with each other is there um is there interaction like intentional interaction between the the different houses yeah, I love the weeds. Like, let's let's get into all the weeds. Um, yeah, uh, not as much as I would like, honestly, and I think not as much as the houses would like, because between their commitments to each other and their commitments to their congregations and their commitments to their neighborhoods, um, and they're like they have lives. You know, they you know you live in a crash house, you most likely have a full time job or at least a part time job. You might be dating. You might be married. Um, like so there's finding finding like more time in there to devote 
to building relationships between the houses is always an uphill battle. But there are a couple things that we do. You know, the, all the retreat, all the um, houses go on retreat together once a year. Um, we have a, a Slack that we keep for the community that all the houses are on, and there's you know exchange that happens on there, just sort of day to day communication. Um, most of the houses have uh, at least one person on the board, and so they get to interact that way. And then throughout the year, we have a couple uh, events. So things like it might just be, you know, the Trinity House is hosting a Friendsgiving this year, um, or it might be, um, you know, every every year or two, uh, I get all the people who are under the age of 30 and it'd be like, hey, do you want to open an IRA? Because I would love to help you open an IRA. And then we help people do that. Um, and we sort of gather the communities together to do like a training Um We've done uh, conflict resolution training and communication training that way. And so I would say like two or three times a year, we gather all the houses together to build those relationships. I think one of the other things that we find is that as you're just living your life, you'll find that you run into other members of Crush just doing what you do. Right. Mm-hmm. So. Oh, that's great. That's beautiful. Um I wanted to touch on something else that you had mentioned about neighborhood commitments. Is that something that's formalized within the, when you create sort of the intentional community contract for lack of a better word, um, or is that something that just organically develops or a little bit of both? Yeah. Um, I'm a, I'm an eager talker, Sabrina. So I'm kind of jumping in at, at each of these questions, but like, be feel free to like, be the one to jump in if you want. I don't want to be that guy who always talks first, uh, but I'm also happy to. No, I like that idea. Please. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So we, we don't call it a, a contract. We call it a covenant and it's kind of our rule of life. Um, it's, it's sort of analogous to the rule of St. Benedict, you know, that's sort of this, this 16 chapter document that explains like, here's, here's who we are, who we're trying to be, what we understand the vocation of, of living in community uh, as a spiritual discipline to be. And um, it doesn't prescribe exactly what that neighborhood engagement looks like, but it does prescribe that it should exist. So it will look very different in Newton Center than it will look in Dorchester, for example. Um, you know, the house in Newton Center just doesn't get a lot of pedestrian traffic, so they can't sit on the stoop and meet their neighbors. Um, in Dorchester, you can. Uh, in Alston, the house is situated next to this um, uh, church that closed 12 years ago or so, um, and it had a, a courtyard that was a little scraggly and, and not really being used for much. And over the last five years, they've turned it into this incredible community garden with um, planter beds and uh lawn chairs. And like every time I go by, there's somebody hanging out in there or walking their dog in there or taking photos or getting engaged or like all kinds of stuff, doing yoga. Um, it's like really become a hub for the neighborhood. And it's like a very visible outward service. And the, the Jubilee house, which we'll probably get into a little bit later, um, also has a vacant lot next door uh, that we're hoping to do something similar to. With the Trinity house, it's more um, being present and volunteering with the food pantry that happens uh, in the church, which is next door to them. And it's it's less of like maintaining a physical space that people can come to and more like finding volunteer uh, and relationship building, you know, activities within their neighborhood. I think one of the things that I uh, wanted to mention is that each house gets to choose to some extent what their culture and ethos is Mm -hmm. and what their focus is. So you'll notice each house has its own. There's some commonalities, 
then there are also some characteristics that the house themselves decide as what is important for them and how they operate. Mm. Yeah. That was, I think, one of the real challenges writing the rule of life was because we had people from all, all existing houses, um, which included a fourth one that no longer exists. At the, um, but like finding a way to make it like toothy enough that it really mattered and it was challenging and was guiding, but like free enough that it could enable each household to have its own culture and its own context. Um, that was a, a delicate needle to thread. I think we nailed it. Well, it sounds like it. Um, Ivy, do you have a follow-up question? I don't want to, I don't want to be the eager questioner. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I'm just wondering before you had mentioned in your introduction, Isaac, that, you know, cooperative housing is one of the solutions to the issue of housing injustice. And so what do you see as the best way to engage with this issue overall in and around Boston? The best way for whom? Because, uh, like, the, you know, in the in the world of uh, housing activism, there's you know, like the, the movement ecology framework of you know direct action for policy change versus alternative systems versus personal transformation. Um, all of those are necessary. Uh, policy wonks um, will say that it's not mysterious how what policy changes we need to fix the housing crunch, but there isn't like the political will to get it done, um, specifically because the housing crisis benefits people who are in power. And mm-hmm. it's really, really hard to get powerful people to act against their own interest. And there is very much like a role for um for activism and lobbying and, and systems change on the municipal and the state level. Um, Crash is in the sort of second bucket of alternative systems where we're like, you know what, that is important work and it's going to take a long time and we don't have time for it. So let's just build a whole other system. And we don't, we don't engage with the dominant system at all. Like we don't get municipal funding. Um, we don't, uh, yeah, we're, we're just sort of claiming property that could be snatched up and turned into luxury condos and instead turning it into mixed income community uh, housing. And and charging rents that only cover the cost of the housing and nothing else. So aren't driven by a profit motive, but are driven by a community motive. Uh, our, our goal is to produce community, not to produce profits. And that just sort of changes the whole, the whole framework. Um, so that's a very long-winded. There's there's a lot of ways to get involved, you know, especially for congregations. Um, you know, you can get involved in a butters meetings. You can get into like uh, the yes in my backyard movement. You can be advocating for inclusionary zoning. You can be um, doing a whole lot of stuff as a congregation, and you can also be looking at what are the properties um, that we might have access to as a congregation. A lot of churches have like, you know, rectories or parsonages or things like that, that maybe uh, are larger than they actually need. Or a lot of congregations have um, folks who are getting up in years who have more house than they need because they're empty nesters and uh, could benefit from engaging in, in community life and, and making their home available to other people who are having trouble finding affordable housing. There's so many interesting ways that congregations get involved beyond uh, the direct action work, which is also important, even if it's not what we do. Mm. For Jubilee House in particular, we uh, intentionally are in, have, in our design of our uh, footprint of the property, 
have included uh, the expectation that we have some space for community engagement, whether it's meetings or uh, providing programming or just time to fellowship and hang out with folks in the area. So uh, the house itself is, is intentionally um, designed and we're doing some innovation as part of this to enable community connection and outreach. Yeah, well, that's that's great. That is a lot of fire hose, but also really helpful, like ways to frame it and think about it and some specific things that are going on. Just jumping on the, the last piece, talking about the Jubilee House, I would love to hear more about that because I know that's kind of the current, what you guys have going on. I think you're in the midst of renovation. So would you talk a little bit specifically about that? You want to tell the backstory, Sabrina? Tell the backstory. All right. You know, this is our pattern. Right? Don't want to break our pattern. But... <laughs> or do you want me to? You go first. Please. You want me to? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, from Kresh's perspective... Um, it was two years ago that we were on our retreat and the way that we structure our retreat is we have a Friday board retreat followed by a Saturday housemate retreat. And during the board section of the retreat, our president, who's a fellow named uh, Angel Figueroa, um, he lives at the St. Mary's house. So he's a crash resident uh, and uh, another New Yorker like me, his, his family's New Yorkian. Um, and he was really pushing us to increase our engagement in marginalized neighborhoods. Um, and so we made a list of partners that we wanted to reach out to and see if they might want to partner with us, um, because we'd, um, already launched a house of St. Mary's Episcopal church in Dorchester, which in the Episcopal network is kind of where we, we started. Um, and we're like, all right, well, if, if, if these are the neighborhoods that we want to be working in, then we need to be reaching, you know, outside of our Episcopal networks. Um, mm. and at the top of that list was this, uh, church plant called New Roots. Um, uh, founded by Mary Emma White Hammond and led by her and Jamie Mangiamelli. And uh, so we're like, okay, so one of my to-do items coming out of this retreat is to reach out to them and see if they've ever thought about doing intentional community. And I came home from the retreat, logged into my work computer on Monday and opened my inbox. And there was an email from New Roots saying, hi, Isaac, you've probably never heard of us, but we've been discerning a call to intentional community for about two years and wondered if you might be interested in a partnership. I was like, that was so easy and it's going to make me look so good to the board. Um, and so we were, so we met and we're like, yeah, like we're very clearly on the same wavelength. This is a very natural partnership. You've got great energy for it, um, which is one of the things that we really look for in partners are people who are who are really committed to to the vision. Um, and so then I started looking for housing. Um, and someone that I knew through the Boston Co-op Network, whose name is Joanne, and is uh, a member of a founding member, I think, of the intentional community that Sabrina lives in. Um, I'd been talking to her on and off for years, and she sent me an email probably a month after that saying, hey, Isaac, the house next door to me is about to go on the market. Does Crash want it? And I was like, you know, we do, actually. <laughs> but it was a, a really kind of tragic situation where the fellow living there could no longer care for himself and was going into um, full-time nursing care, but um, MassHealth wouldn't pay for his nursing care as long as he owned the house. So he had to sell it as quickly as possible. And I'm like, I can't raise half a million dollars in five days. Like, I'm, that's just not the kind of 
waters that I swim in. <laughs> and so Joanne uh, said, okay, um, well, I've got some retirement savings. I'll liquidate those, buy the house, get it off the market, and then you can buy it from me when you're ready. And I was like, really? <laughs> That's amazing. And then not only did she do that, but she sold it to us at a discount. Like she also made a donation to the the, the resale of the home. Um, so that was another one of those, like, I can't believe how easy this is, but it's going to make me look really good to my board. You know, um, that's kind of the the pattern along. It's sort of, it, it all just like, I could feel um, like the hand of the spirit pulling this thing together. Mm-hmm. So we closed on the house in September. Um, we financed it as we have with all of our other houses, um, purely with uh, private promissory notes from friends and allies of the organization. So we don't have to get mixed up in in mortgages or debt service coverage ratios or anything like that. Um, and we're engaging a, a local designer architect to uh, renovate the thing because it's got a lot of different maintenance, but that is allowing us to make it ADA compliant and accessible. It's allowing us to make it completely off of um, hydrocarbons and fossil fuels. Um, it's sort of the fact that it needs so much work is actually enabling a whole lot of really exciting stuff just structurally, let alone that New Roots is going to have the intentional community they've been dreaming of for years. So, Wow. Yeah. Yes. Thank you so much for sharing that story. I literally got the chills, you know, as you mentioned that, you know, the Holy Spirit hand in all of that and just the ease of, you know, how all of those puzzle pieces came together. It's just so amazing. So I really appreciate you sharing that. Just uh, from the Jubilee House perspective, our key items are ADA accessibility, community, and uh, sustainability, reduction of uh, greenhouse gases. And so all those things were enabled by the way where this house currently is and enables to the renovation. So from our perspective, it's similar. It's like, wow, this is amazing. We actually went into retreat ourselves and it was just a concept. And we came out of that retreat, like, why can't we do this now? And that's how, that's how Isaac got the, the, the first yeah, I'll be from my perspective. It felt really fun to send Jamie and Mariama an email four weeks after our first conversation. Like, so I think I have a house. <laughs> so I'm like, really? And I'm like, like yeah. I'm, I'm not this good. <laughs> like, I promise. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's so exciting. And there's a lot of takeaways from that. But what I'm taking away is like, we need to, I need to go on a retreat. Like, <laughs> apparently good things come out of that. So um Yeah. Like Ivy said, it's just so exciting to hear about, like, obviously you guys are both doing like really great work in in different ways and like engaging and and working hard. It's not like it all fell into your lap, but it's really cool to hear about the ways in which things happen and and people who want to engage and contribute and be part of it. Um, That's just really encouraging because sometimes um, things seem so big and what housing justice and even just forming community, it seems like almost insurmountable, but to know that like, there are people who really believe in this, who are willing to put their time, their energy, their resources for it. I just, that's really encouraging. So thank you for sharing that story. Um, Okay. We're moving towards a wrap up. So I'd love for you guys, if there um, is anything that we should know that we don't know about anything, no, about kind of what you do and and engaging with you. And if there are ways that our community or anybody that um, is listening can engage with your work, what, what would be helpful? What would be encouraging? Um, Yeah. Yeah. um, 
In terms of how to get engaged in the work that Crush is doing, um, there's a couple big ones. And, and first and foremost is that our, our main limiter is houses. Like every every time we launch a crush house, we have to raise or borrow uh, about a million dollars, and that's just a huge lift. And and like I said, like we've we've borrowed all of that from private individuals and friends of the organization. Largely, um, it's funny. Like we have the majority of lenders, both in terms of people and in terms of dollars, are folks under the age of forty because it's not like wealthy philanthropists. It's, you know, young people who don't want to put their retirement savings in wall street and would rather put like, say, you know, store up your treasure in heaven, right. You know, where, where your treasure is there, where your heart will be also. It's like, I want my heart to be in local community housing. So people who are just like, I've got 50 grand in my 401k from 15 years of working, I'm going to take half of it out and I'm going to invest it in the Jubilee house. And that kind of just like really, bold act of faith is what has made this possible. Um, so that's a, a big one is uh, investing, allowing us to borrow you know, between two and 4%, which is a better rate than we can get from a commercial bank. Um, but like, honestly, if you've been looking at the markets, it's like 3% is not a bad return. Uh, yeah. But um, but that's, that's, that's what we pay on our debt. Or if you have more house than you need and would consider donating it or um, doing a retained life estate or something like that, um, if a church has a property that they aren't that they would like to put to missional purpose, you know, a lot of churches have been using if they own a house, they've been using it for income for years rather than for mission. And like opening, uh, you're brainstorming a little bit. Think what would it be like if we used this house to create community? Um, those are, I think, probably the big ones. Is, is we we just can't meet the need. We can't build create houses fast enough to meet the need. And the the limiter is not finding people who want to live in community. It's not finding congregational partners. It's just getting houses. Housing is so resource intensive. Um, and then, of course, uh, if if you're a donor and you're looking for a place to donate, you know, <laughs> as I said, housing is really resource intensive, and we we need the money. Um, anything you want to add to that, Sabrina? I think, uh, well, I would say uh, as a partner, New Roots did come up with half of the cost mm. to to purchase. Mm. And so, but again, we just asked folks and they crunched. And so the help with uh, coming up with a million, New Roots did come up with. Yeah, that's mm. awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I'm dreaming that one of these days we're going to get like a church that has an endowment to say, you know what, we'd love to, you know, reinvest $200,000 of our endowment into this. But so far we are batting zero <laughs> coming to our institutions and churches. It's it's only individuals who have like the the courage, it seems, to um to make that kind of values-based investment. I love that. I love that dream though. I love you naming it. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful to think about. Um, yeah. Any Ivy, do you have anything you want to add? Um, no, not in particular. I just want to thank you both, you know, for your time that you have, you know, spent in, in sharing with us about your, your mission and, and your vision and, 
what your hopes and dreams are for the future. And I'm just really thankful that we had the opportunity to hear all of the great things that you shared and to know more. Um, I have different things percolating in my head, feel like I could talk all day long, but I know the time is of the essence. And so uh, this is just the beginning, I know for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I just want to echo that. I really appreciate you guys taking the time for this conversation. And it's just really encouraging to hear what you're doing and all of the ways in which it's moving forward. And um, we're just glad to be able to share that with our community. And then hopefully people will find ways to engage. Maybe maybe somebody with a church with an endowment is listening, um, but obviously in lots of different ways to, um, to be supportive. So um, there's a spectrum. I guess yeah. we mentioned uh, Isaac, like the video or the online online information. So if you just want to just get a little bit more about or see the video to give you a little feel that Crash has a website. Oh, okay, great. Well, we'll we'll be sure to share that too, so that people can um, can learn more that way. That's awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah. Oh, it's definitely our pleasure. Thank you guys so much. And I hope that God continues to bless what you're doing. Thank you.